You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt. Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I would like to begin today by calling in the spirits to join us. So I call out on this day to your ancestors and to mine, to those of you who listen to the show at any time. So I call out to those ancestors who bring all that is good and true and beautiful in our ancestral lines into our lives. They carry to us a legacy, the legacy of those who have gone before us, those who lived well, those who died well, those who made mistakes, but those who learn from those mistakes and offer that life up to us, the living so that we don't have to make those mistakes over again. If we could only learn to listen and to communicate with these people of our blood. And so I call out to these ancestors to gather round, to have patience with us and to whisper a little louder that we might hear the guidance that is already there for us. And with the ancestors gathered round, I ask each one of us to move into our bodies and from our hearts into our bellies and our bellies down through our legs, through our feet, into the earth. All the way deep into the earth, the planet, all the way to the very center of the earth and to this profound being. Let's give thanks. Thanks for life. Thanks for the beauty and diversity of life. Thanks for the miracle that is your life. No matter the circumstances, qualities, or conditions of your life, the fact of your life is a profound miracle. And we give thanks to the earth for the wonder of her dreaming, for it was her dream of life that brought life as we know it to the face of this planet that we all call home. And we call out to this magnificent being, the earth, to be with us here today and to infuse her knowledge of how to be here in form, all that wisdom of manifestation, that wisdom that creates ecosystems that left to their own devices find a way for great diversity of plants and animals and insects to move together in a way that supports and constantly balances and rebalances life and change. And so we call out to the earth to give us this wisdom to help us as humans to understand the right use of will and how to bring ourselves into balance with life in all of its many forms. And so we draw up the energy of the earth into our human bodies and feel in this connection the sense of place, the sense of home and hearth and belonging, the sense of caring, the sense of grounding, and ultimately the sense of connection to ourselves, to the earth, to our day to life, to others, and finally, to the great interconnection of all living things. And may we draw from the earth the inspiration within ourselves to have a moment in this day to feel our oneness with all things and our place in that great tapestry of life. So we give thanks to the earth for the wonder of her dreaming, for connection, interconnection, and life. And with this energy grounding us and rooting us into our body, onto our planet, into our day, we reach up from our heart to our mind and our mind out through all the layers of the sky and the atmosphere and the cosmos, all the way up to the highest power of the universe. And we reach up to this power and by whatever name we call it, call on this power, draw it into yourself, if you will, please draw it into your day, draw it into these proceedings, draw it into yourself to bring in this divine energy that brings to us the wisdom the energy of protection, the energy of blessing, the energy of devotion, and the energy of generosity. May we call these energies down that we might find excellence in this day and precision to bring ourselves exactly as is needed to each moment without excess or scarcity. So we call out to this energy above and we ask for the energy from above, the sky energy, to bring us the wisdom of the cosmos that we might know why we are here, 
And so we call this energy down into our mind, into our heart, and into our body where the energy of the earth and sky can dance together. We humans, as all other living things on the face of the planet, are the place in which this great dance ensues, the dance of the great lovers, the yin and the yang, the wholeness of life. It's the dance of these two great lovers, the earth and the sky. This is the big love within every single one of us, every single thing manifest here in form. And let that love call out to the spirit of your heart, that your heart may open and be awake and alive here as we are in these proceedings together. And may you, into your heart, call up the fiery passions of your loins, the fire of your purpose and your desire to live your soul's purpose, and draw that up from the lower chakras into the heart, and draw down from the mind clarity, precise thinking strategic thinking and the willingness to choose and act we draw these energies down from above into our heart and let these energies merge and dance just like the earth and sky moving with each other to create wholeness we let the energies from our whole chakra system move into in the heart to create the wholeness out of which emerges the knowing of our soul's true purpose and may you find in your heart the courage to live that purpose in the world So with the spirits gathered round, I give thanks today for those human spirits who find it in their heart as they're moved by the show to give and to give in a way that allows me to keep the show on the air. And so I give thanks to Johanna and to Stephen and to those who have donated financially to the show in the past week. If this show is meaningful to you in any way, if you are moved in the heart, please move in this fundamental act of shamanism, which is to let the motivations of your heart move your actions in the world. And I ask you to consider this in actions to financially support the show. You can go to whyshamanismnow.com, click the support button, and offer any amount, large or small. It all goes directly to keeping the show on the air. Um, Please send questions. um, Share with me what's happened in your own life and your own shamanic life in doing or acting on or thinking about some of the things that we talk about in the show. Share these ideas with others deep in your practice. Link the site to others. Comment about it in that great social networking that I find so tedious. Nonetheless, do what you feel inspired to do if you would please to help the show to grow and to be strong and to help it to sustain itself in a way that is not depleting for me. Um, as long as things stay in balance, I'll do my best to keep the show on the air. And I thank all of you who are helping me to do that. So today's show is soul loss and family values. Obviously, today's show is inspired by current events in America. We are live this week, and you are invited to call in if you have a question about the show topic. And you can reach us at 512-772-1938 or Skype in from the co-creatornetwork.com site. And you can email me at christina at lastmaskcenter.org. Um, and for those of you that have been asking, um, our summer, uh, summer fall classes are all on the website at lastmaskcenter.org. We have Courageous Heart classes in Massachusetts, in Seattle, Ancestral Healing classes here in Portland, and um, the beginning of the four-year training begins here outside of Portland in July. And all of these um, classes are alive and waiting for your registration. And you can register for many through the Last Mass Center website or through the websites of the places that are sponsoring the classes. So please act now. Um, If not now, when? And if not you, who? So today, soul loss and family values. Um, I must admit that I've become very somber today, uncharacteristically somber, as I've prepared for today's show, which surprised me because I actually feel enormously passionate about soul retrieval work I have from the beginning as that is the aspect of shamanism that called me into this work and I continue to this day to feel very very passionate about that work and yet somehow in preparing for today's show about soul loss and soul retrieval and what I have learned from doing decades of soul retrieval with largely American families about what values actually need to be held in the family and thus in the culture uh, to create an environment in which children do not suffer soul loss throughout their childhood. Because in America, 
even in the best of families and the happiest of childhoods, children experience soul loss. And they often experience numerous events of soul loss throughout their life in situations that are not necessarily overtly traumatic or abusive. Why is this? And so what I wanted to share today to offer into the conversation was what I have learned from doing soul retrievals about the values we actually need to hold in our families. And I've tried also, in as I've become more and more somber about this and sad, frankly, about it, and I've I kind of wondered why, what what is going on? And I realized that part of the challenge, honestly, is that even though I have this lovely radio show, which you are all helping me to keep on the air and keep alive and well, the truth of the matter is I'm preaching to the choir. And that as a contemporary shaman, I do not have access to one of my most crucial roles as a shaman, which is to be a voice of spirit for the people. And the bottom line is, other than you all lovely listeners who do listen to my show, my people aren't listening. I have no voice in America. And I have things that I and many other shamanic practitioners, not just me, but those of us who do soul retrieval work and have for the last several decades have something very important to add into the public discourse here in America. And the bottom line is we we don't really have any way for anyone to listen. And that brings me great sadness because what I saw in researching the encyclopedia, so what I saw in pre-contact shamanic cultures and what I see reflected Um, in the negative, in a sense, by doing soul retrieval work is that in pre-contact shamanic cultures, they actually valued children, actually valued children, shaped their culture around what is necessary to value children. Adults shaped their lives around valuing children because children were the most precious resource, not oil, not gold, not 17 houses, not even electric cars, children. Children were the most valuable resource of the people. And adults shaped their lives around honoring and cherishing and valuing this resource. And they did this in a way that did not raise spoiled, stubborn, childish adults but they understood what it meant to parent a child so that the childhood would become a precious resource that a true spiritual adult would draw from for the rest of their lives. That their childhood would not be a decade or two of soul loss, that they would spend the next several decades of their life trying to heal. But that childhood and the the natural relationship with spirit, the natural interconnectedness with all things, the natural knowing of the true principles of an energetic life that a child knows left to their own devices would be preserved. And that the parent's role was to raise the child to to succeed in their initiation, to leave that childhood that was honored behind And to step through that most important gate into adulthood, where that childhood would be a precious resource for going forward and being able to envision a better future. It would be a source of of the ability to think about life as an adventure, to think creatively, to know that there is a relationship with spirit, to be able to play with everyone. Because if we don't teach children not to play with those other kids, they'll play with those other kids. Children aren't born hating other people. They only stop playing with other people because we tell them to. They only make up games where there's winners and losers because we tell them to. I watched my nephew invent games as soon as he was able to start inventing things. And in those games, for years, there were no winners and no losers was his nature to invent games in which everyone won. 
And then culture taught him that there had to be a winner. You know, it doesn't have to be a winner. So I can see my passion rising and my sadness uh, parting. As, as the fire of my passion parts the clouds of my sadness around this topic, I can perhaps proceed in a reasonable way. But you see where my sadness comes from. That we, as this culture with so much to offer the world, do not value our children. We say we do, but we do not live in a way that expresses this as a truth. We value youth and we spend or perhaps waste enormous resources on trying to preserve youth instead of recognizing this shape of life that these indigenous people shaped where the childhood was valued and left behind and carried on in the life of the adult as a resource, as something that was beautiful that allowed profound connection to spirit and interconnection with other things and was an opportunity to grow, to learn, to share, to explore and come to feel what your true passions are and then to pursue those as an adult and to find in that through your relationship with spirit, your calling and to pursue that even more deeply. And that is not the shape of, of an American life. And it, and it, it, um, It is our great folly. It is our great folly. And so, in this hideous time of an American presidential election year, (laughs) well, we're not even quite there yet, but oh, God. Anyway, as we talk about, actually, we don't in this country, we don't talk about gay marriage. We yell at each other about it. We don't, and we wave this banner of the child. What is healthy for the child? And I have to tell you, as someone who spends, who's dedicated her entire adult life to soul retrieval work, that these very families that most vehemently wave the flag of knowing what is right for the child are the very same families that create the most soul loss in their children. And there's statistics out there for those people that do this kind of research about um, how fundamentalist thinking leads to higher levels of abuse, sexual abuse, and ultimately doesn't say anything about soul loss because, of course, they weren't measuring that. But those are the things that lead to soul loss. So there is no evidence that two men or two women or a man and a woman – do any better than each other in creating an environment that is healthy for children. But there are loads of evidence that this holier-than-thou heterosexual Christian marriage that everyone's banging on about right now creates soul loss. I have dedicated my life to trying to right that balance. And so I know as does everyone else who does soul retrieval, that fundamentalist thinking of any kind generates soul loss in children. And there is absolutely no evidence that two men or two women raising children generate soul loss. But there is hordes of evidence that the everyday ordinary American marriage of a man and a woman creates soul loss. In the very, very beginning of my practice as a shamanic healer, I had a wonderful opportunity, which I am very grateful for, and I'm not criticizing it anyway, but I do want to use it as an example. Because it was an opportunity for me to work in the middle of the country, in the heart of America, in the breadbasket, right? In the very center of things where everything is theoretically sane. Because, you know, those coastlines, everyone's a little crazy on those two coasts. But in the middle of America, we have the the heartland. And I went regularly for several years to a particular city. So this is a big enough city that people are educated and etc., those things that supposedly allow families to um, create a good environment for children. And I can still remember the day. I can still picture the car. 
I can still feel myself in the car as we drove through a suburb of this city. After I'd been going, you know, I've been doing soul retrieval at that point pretty much all the time. I wasn't really teaching yet um, for five or six years. We drove through this beautiful suburb of this lovely city, medium-sized city in America in the heartland. Trikes in the grass and, you know, lovely yards and kids playing and all this stuff going on. You know, minivans opening up and soccer teams pouring out and all that stuff of American life. And I realized inside of me I had absolutely no illusions about what was going on behind those doors in terms of what was happening in the lives of the spiritual lives of these children. Children that were often being afforded every material advantage in life and yet their souls were being damaged. And I can still remember that day when I realized there wasn't a door in this nation that didn't have soul loss behind it. And that was a very sobering day for me. And so what I found with these largely adults that I was working with in this town in the heartland of America is two things. These very sincere adults who wanted to be well, many of them were dying of something terminal, often um, at that at this time this was you know 20 years ago also these autoimmune syndrome thingies that were starting to come up that nobody really knew what to do with and that the diagnosis for many of these people for their cancers and their autoimmunes and their fatigues and all these things was basically these people were dying of terminal niceness and niceness is essentially what happens when a good child someone who's taught by American standards to be a good child becomes an adult without ever learning how to actually be an adult. You know, because niceness doesn't get you shit as a grown-up. You need to be a warrior. You need to be a teacher. You need to be a visionary. You need to be a healer as an adult, not nice. You know, nice, training children to be nice and well-mannered and to do what they're told cultivates terrible Adults, not because they're bad people, but because they are utterly and completely ill-equipped to approach adult life. And these people had all of the illnesses to prove it. And these were not old people. These were, you know, 30, 40, early 50-year-old people dying of terminal niceness. And on the other hand, they were struggling in life to find a way to deal with the results of their own soul loss as children. And these are people that had therapists and saw body workers and did energy work and Reiki and all the many things that people do. And yet they were still suffering because the bottom line of much of their illness, um, psycho-emotionally, was their soul loss as kids. And there wasn't a person among these people who didn't think of their childhood as a happy childhood. Right. So what's going on? Well, what is going on is that these people, these lovely people from the heartland of America were raised in politically and religiously fundamental households. And, you know, Americans can be pretty fundamental even about being an American. And one of the things we need to understand is that the nature of fundamentalist thinking, not what we're fundamental about, but the very nature of fundamentalist thinking damages children to be raised in an environment that is being shaped by fundamental thinking damages children. It damages their soul. It may teach them good manners. They may sit down and shut up in school. They may uh, perform. They may learn to consume well. But it is not good for their souls. And as people, as humans, aware of our humanity, not our bank accounts, not our status, whether we have jet skis and boats and you know things like that, But our humanity, the souls of our children, the health of the souls of our children should be our highest priority, one of our highest priorities. 
think our relationship with the environment needs to be up there as well. But the show right now is about soul loss and family values. So while I think that these families, if you ask them what they valued, probably valued the same things you and I do in terms of what they thought they valued. But the death grip of fundamentalist thinking squeezes the life out of those values and it gives people the right in their own thinking to be utterly and completely hypocritical about their values. And the problem with hypocrisy with children is that hypocrisy terrifies children at their very core. When parents say one thing and do another, it's very frightening for children. It undermines the sense of stability in their life. And so to say that God tells us we must be loving, and if we're not, God will punish us, and then to go out in the world and not be loving terrifies children doesn't just confuse them. It terrifies them because children already understand God. They don't necessarily have that word, but they don't need it because they've just come from oneness with all things and they haven't really forgotten it yet. They get it. They're living it. They're still living it. They're still shaping this this confusing life of having oozed out of the oneness into this individual body and still trying to understand what that's all about. And so when you say things like, God says we must love everything, they believe it because that rings true because spirit is saying we need to love everything. Love is the interconnection of everything and kids know that. And so when adults say it and don't do it, it's terrifying and it creates soul loss and hypocrisy creates soul loss in children, as does any kind of closed-minded thinking, including agnostic and atheistic thinking, because of its fundamentalism, not because of its content. I mean, diversity is great, people. The content's fine. It's how we live with it. It's our relationship with it. And, and our job as parents with children is to open them to the world. Is not to teach them only our religious thinking. Teach them everyone's. Is not to teach them only our perspective, but teach them everyone's. Teach them to think. Teach them to question. Teach them about the wealth that humanity offers each other in this great human family. This is what we owe our children who are born into a community that is global. We owe it to them to teach them about the people that are in their family, which is global. Anyone, and I, and I went to school with children whose parents said this, and I'm not that old, but any parent who says, A sixth grade education was good enough for me. It's good enough for my kids. Is not worthy of parenting. That simple sentiment alone shows that you are not mature enough yet to parent. And unfortunately, many people are. What's good enough for me is good enough for my kids. No, it's not. Because a true teacher, a true parent, a true adult is in the dreaming and is dreaming of a better future and wants the children to have a better life, to go beyond us, to be able to find the vision that will shape what we haven't done well in a better way. And yes, to stand on what was strong and successful and beautiful about what we did, but to forgive, to heal, to move on and to do other things differently. A true adult supports the child in questioning, in coming up with different answers, in trying out those answers in the world. In other words, it's like being those early scientists who weren't, didn't actually consider themselves scientists yet. They just observed what was going on around them and tried to understand. This is part of what our job is with children, 
is to help them to learn to use their minds, to question, to experience many different things, so that when they are our age, they've experienced things in life and they have some idea where their passions lie. I worked with this woman as a client and it was just such this heartbreaking moment with her because she was such, she had such um, zest for life. She, she had a progressive um, illness that, that caused blindness, basically, from the time she was a young child and to complete blindness as, a, as an adult when I was working with her. And because she'd had this her whole life, her parents had been very protective of her. And so here she was as an adult who was quite capable of functioning in the world with her blindness. But she wanted to know what her soul's purpose was. And I said, well, the only way you can know is to feel your passion. And she says, what's passion? You know, I never was allowed to do enough in my life to know what passion even feels like. I was so protected. And this is the problem with fundamentalist thinking. This is the problem with thinking we as adults have it all figured out and trapping our children in that reality is we don't have it all figured out for them, people. We hardly have it figured out for ourselves, maybe only on a good day. And that we don't want our children at 40 years old to say, I have no idea what my passion feels like. And to have to start then exploring the world to find what are the things they have passions for and what are the things they don't. They need to do that as children. That's our job. That is our job if we're going to honor and cherish the lives of children is to teach them about diversity, to teach them to use their minds, to teach them to question what we're teaching them. And to offer them all that life gives, not just football, but art, music, not just the music they want to listen to, but music from other cultures. What are the kids listening to in seven other cultures that is the same or different from what your children are listening to at that age? What is the art other children are making in other countries? What are the actions kids are committed to? What does it mean for a girl in America to realize girls in Afghanistan have to fight to be able to go to school? We owe it to our children to teach them beyond our own limiting beliefs and our own limiting ideas and our own small-mindedness. Because to not do so creates soul loss in their lives. And divisiveness creates soul loss in the lives of children. Our anger, our rage about this and that and the other thing that goes unchecked, our depression that goes undealt with, these things and, and events in life that disconnect a parent from the child, our anger, our rage, our depression, things that happen in life, things that we do, things that we indulge, things that we allow to continue to happen, that disconnect a parent from the child and create divisiveness, create the conditions for soul loss in children. Anything that we put up that becomes an obstacle to a child knowing themselves authentically and discovering their own true relationship with spirit, any obstacles we put up to that create soul loss potentially in children. What's important for us to understand is that children live in the energetic soup created by the adults in their lives. And by this, I mean the collective energy of whoever the adults are that are the authority figures in a child's life. And it doesn't really matter whether it's a man and a woman or two women or two men or a woman and the next door neighbor who is the male figure in this child's life or a man trying to raise his kids alone and the teacher at school who is the female figure. It doesn't really matter. The point is the kids are stuck for better or for worse, in the energetic soup of these people and the most important in that soup, even if they are 100% absent, are the parents. And constant upheaval in that energetic soup can create soul loss in children because children need a kind of constancy, not superficial constancy, but deep, not like 
the constancy that is just sameness and boredom in every day of their life, but a kind of constancy that comes from the heart and soul that does not waver with the everyday ups and downs of life so that a kid knows, even on the good days and even on the bad days, that their parents love them and their parents are there, whoever their parents are. It doesn't matter if it's two men or two women or a man and a woman. It matters that those adults create a sense of heart and soul constancy in the child's life. That's what matters because of the energy soup. And so another thing that matters deeply, and this creates great soul loss in the lives of children in America, particularly in the infamous heterosexual family, is the unchecked emotional drama of adults who behave like children who do not practice some practice of self-reflection and ultimately maturation. That the ups and downs and the ins and outs and the fightings and the carrying on of two adults in their immaturity creates this constant boil in the energy soup these poor kids are stuck in. And this, this ongoing, untended drama in the family Creates, can create soul loss in children. That it is important for people who are going to bring children in the world to stop acting like children themselves in the sense of being childish. That it is a requirement of parents to begin to reflect on themselves, on their own behavior, to grow, evolve, and mature. Because to not do so... Uh, affects the energy soup in such a way that can create soul loss in children. And so what I see, particularly in contemporary America, I can't really speak for other countries. Not that I don't see soul loss in the people that do long-distance healing work with me from other countries, especially in the Western world, because it's all pretty much the same. Different versions of the same themes. Because the bottom line is, in all of this banging on, about religion people don't practice people don't practice what they preach and in not practicing what they preach we see these and and not really evolving from childhood into true spiritual mature adulthood we see people involved excessively and indulgent in their own personal dramas as adults and not shaping their lives for the children. And so children suffer the excessive pride or insecurities, the egotistical movements of their parents in their life. That there's, um, they suffer the profound envies and jealousies of their parents and the jealousies in the relationships, the jealousies with the neighbors, the, the insecurities that come from that. Children suffer the inordinate desire to consume more than you need that is so classically contemporary American now. I don't believe it was in the beginning, but it certainly is now. To just want more. And children suffer from this being part of the energy soup because more isn't better. I didn't spend all day with my parents. I mean, the thought of that as a child would be hideous. We ran around wild all day, frankly. But we had particular time every day with each of our parents. And that's all that really mattered is that the time that we had with them, they were present with us. We weren't all sitting there together on our iPhones, typing with our thumbs. We weren't all in our own rooms uh, watching different shows on the same cable network. That we were together doing things. Sometimes it was watching TV back in those days. But the time that I spent with my parents, they were with me. And that I didn't expect to spend all day with them. I didn't want to spend all day with them, frankly. So this inordinate desire to have more and more and more with nothing ever really satisfying. And then this sort of lusting in our culture 
not ever really being in our body and experiencing a deep connection with someone else in their body, but lusting after things that aren't ours. Lusting after men or women we'll never have. Lusting after jobs we're not qualified for. Lusting after children that aren't the ones sitting at the table with us. Lust. These are all these immature, unchecked behaviors in the lives of American parents that create this toxic energy soup these poor kids spend the first 18 years of their lives swimming around in. I already talked about anger and rage. I talked about greed. And then the other piece that is so classically American is the absolute avoidance of work, be it spiritual or physical or your work in the world. This, this idea that somehow I should get everything for nothing. That's terrible, terrible uh, belief to model for children. So, like, for me, the, the, the pinnacle of this is what's become of the Olympics. Now, I got no problem with the Olympics. The Olympics themselves are cool. The idea behind the Olympics is wonderful. The vision is incredible. But in America, I don't know about the rest of the world, but in America, we spend more time watching these horrible, overinflated stories about how much these poor athletes have sacrificed, how much their families have sacrificed, how many jobs their parents had to work. All this horrible sacrifice for this kid to get to this level in athletics. And it disgusts me so much. I frankly can't watch the Olympics anymore. That and the fact that they never, pro, they never show the sports I actually want to see. This idea in America that somehow we should avoid all work. In my life, the fact that I danced, I wasn't great. But I sacrificed. My family sacrificed. I committed to dancing. And that ability to commit to a discipline is one of the greatest gifts of my childhood. And no one, you know, no one should go, ooh, you sacrificed your whole life for dancing. Aren't you special? I'm not special. I'm not special at all. And frankly, around this topic, I'm angry. But anyway, back to the point. The point is I learned that life wasn't about avoiding work, that anything I wanted in life would take devotion. It would take sacrifice and it would take work. It didn't mean everything in life had to be hard. Because, frankly, shamanism isn't that hard, but it takes constant devotion, constant practice, constant uh, work. And that it should. You know, that's why sloth is one of the seven deadly sins, right? Because it's not correct thinking to think we should get everything for nothing. So to try to teach your kids that they should get everything for nothing, to steal the cable from your neighbors and, you know, all these things that we do creates soul loss in children, creates the conditions for soul loss in children. So you might say, Christina, how is it any different in these shamanic cultures? They weren't even smart enough to make toasters. I had someone say that to me once. Well, maybe they didn't make toasters because they realized that electricity would be a problem because electricity would lead to electric electricity factories and electricity factories are driven by nuclear power nuclear power is a problem as we've all witnessed recently not to blame japan because every developed country in the world's got the same problem ready to happen so this is the thing about adults with a spiritual life is they have a certain kind of forward thinking that they get from spirit from their relationship with spirit And it's not that they can't make toasters. Maybe they decided not to make toasters because of the ongoing logical consequences of that act. That's what adults do to shape the life for spirit. So let me talk a little bit about what I learned, which was surprising to me, being, you know, heterosexual American myself, right? What was surprising to me is I researched about shamanism all over the globe is first off, That from a shamanic perspective, which is an actively and robustly spiritual life, it is not a religious life, but it is a very actively spiritual life. Every adult has a working relationship with spirit in a shamanic culture. You are expected to. You're not considered an adult if you don't, frankly. Okay. 
So what shamanic people collectively knew around the globe is while sometimes we should do this and at other seasons we should do that, or certain round rituals we should do this and other times we should do that, and that there was a flexibility and protocol around things, that ultimately the only real sin was to stand in the way of the destiny of another person. That our job as people on the planet with other people on the planet is to support each other in living their destiny. Because if we are to live our destiny, that means we bring our soul's purpose to the world. And if we bring our soul's purpose to the world, the community is made richer for the beauty of our gifts, is made stronger, is made the fabric of life is woven more exquisitely. So there's something else that shamanic people understood, and this is pre-contact. These beliefs don't necessarily exist in many shamanic cultures that are sort of exist today, but have been infused by the enlightenment of organized religion. That was sarcasm for those of you that didn't notice. What they had understood is something we simply cannot get a grip on today. And understand this, people. I did go to college. I studied hard science, and there are no facts controverting what I'm about to say, right? It's all assumption. It's all delusion, frankly, on contemporary people. But what shamanic people understood is that a person's biology was simply that. It was their biology. You know, they came out basically with male parts or basically with female parts or basically with both parts. It wasn't common. It was rare, but it was considered unique, And fascinating. And that person being different obviously had something really special and different to bring to the people. So someone who was hermaphrodite wasn't ridiculed for that. They were frankly expected to do something great because they were unique from birth. So a person's biology was just that, their biology. You know, did they have an innie or an outie or both? And then... The next thing about a person's life was their work in the world. What was their, and we often called it, we looking back at it, call it your gender role. But it wasn't necessarily attached to your gender. It had to do with what did you feel called to do by spirit. And often it aligned with your biology. So often the women were the weavers and the gatherers and the men were the hunters and the whatevers. But not always. It didn't have to happen. It often did, but it didn't have to. And there was nothing wrong if it didn't work out that way. And then the third thing was a person's sexuality. What made their blood warm? Who were they attracted to? And as long as it was another adult, it was fine. And that didn't necessarily attach to someone's gender role in the culture or someone's biology. And so these three variables would constantly be shape-shifting and moving through a person's life based on their guidance with spirit. And so someone's work in the world was part of their conversation with spirit. So it wasn't anybody human's place to say that you can't do that job. You're not the right biology to do that job. And similarly around sex, it was no one else's place to say you can't make love to that person because Spirit was with them in it, with both parties. As long as everyone was an adult and was consenting, you assume people were doing what they were doing because they were guided by spirit. And that it wasn't any human being's place to stand in the way of another human being's destiny and say, spirit didn't tell you that because spirit only says this. Because I'm here to tell you, spirit doesn't only say that. Spirit says a lot. Mostly spirit says love. You are connected. Everything you do affects everything else. So if you believe in love and my message of love, then love other people, regardless of how different they are. And if you do that, you'll create a great environment for raising children. And if you don't do that, you will damage them. And they will spread that damage. And damage will be your legacy. Spirit doesn't say these people shouldn't have sex and these people should and these people are better if they do and these people are worse if they don't. Spirit says cherish your children. Love other people. You are interconnected with all things, so grow up and act like it. 
That's what spirit says. Spirit doesn't say go kill those people because they're different than you. That's not God. I don't care what name you call God, and I don't care what book you think you're interpreting. God does not say go kill those other people. God says go learn from those other people. Love them. Learn from them. Maybe they have the medicine your children need in the next generation. We are all connected on this very, very tiny planet, people. And our children need to be given a chance to inherit a world that will sustain them. And our vitriolic arguing and petty bickering and bullshit thinking about what we think we know God is saying is toxic and it's polluting the world. And because it's being broadcast all over the world, I'm not being overly dramatic. It is polluting the world and is polluting the minds and the hearts of our children and it causes in them soul loss. Yes, you fundamentalist thinkers of all stripes and colors, you are creating an environment that damages your children. You are damaging the future. And I know this from the dedication of a life's work of soul retrieval. So what indigenous people understood that a person's destiny is determined by their ongoing conversation between that person and spirit. Not me and some man in a funny hat who's interpreting a book that was received thousands of years ago and has been interpreted and reinterpreted to serve people's political aims and greed since then. God is constant. Spirit is constant. It is constant in our lives and every human on the planet, gay, straight, or purple, has the right and the ability to have a direct working relationship with spirit and to allow that relationship with spirit to inform their destiny, what they are choosing to do with their biology, what they are choosing to do as their work in the world, and who they are choosing to love. And it is those people who choose to love and act from that place of love and the true passion of their destiny that create a luscious and nurturing environment for children to be raised in. And so in shamanic cultures, there were many gender variant people of different persuasions. But in particular, the one person that often raised the children, because this person had so much time on their hands, frankly, was the man who had chosen to present in the world as a woman and learned the woman's ways, was given a woman's name, learned to speak the woman's language, wear their hair and the woman's way of wearing their hair, and learned the woman's skills. And so was there with the children, wasn't off hunting with the other guys, but was there with the children. And many of the women, the biological women, couldn't wait to go have a whatever break and go gather without the kids running around and leave the kids with this man who was living as a woman while he told the children the stories of the people and taught them how to think for themselves, taught them how to open their minds, taught them how to organize an actual argument and to listen to the arguments of others and to respect each other for your perspectives. That's the teachings in the stories of all these indigenous cultures. And those stories were often offered by a gay man dressed in a skirt. Wake up. People, your ancestors know these answers. We are lemmings going off the fucking cliff, people. Could you just please wake up and understand when it comes to children, you must do what you say because they see through you. And if you say one thing and do another, they will see through you. And you create a frightening environment for them to be raised in. They must start reaching for support in other places. And they either come out little serial killers or they will leave you anyway and go find sanity somewhere else. We must learn to parent in a way that cherishes our children's souls, not just their ability to grow up and make money in the world or find a good husband, or not be gay. 
We need to parent in a way that brings forward the authenticity in our children, that teaches them to think for themselves, that teaches them to organize a logical argument and respect the arguments of others, and to know in themselves their own inner truth, even if it's entirely different than ours, and to love them for it, to love others for their differences, and to love our children for the way that they open us up to the world. So I encourage you, learn another language with your kid. Learn about the dances and the art in other cultures with your kid. Open your mind with your child so that you can help your child to open theirs. There is no greater resource on this planet than our children. And I don't see why it's so hard for a bunch of adults in suits on Capitol Hill to continue to subsidize tobacco and various oil and other highly profitable businesses and not support the programs that support our children. We're the adults, people. Let us not participate in the anger in the evil, in the sense that anyone who stands up and stands in the way of another person's destiny and presumes to know better and calls someone else whatever is evil. Because we must not stand in the way of each other's destiny because every single person here has their own, potentially has their own relationship with spirit. So I ask you this. What's a realistic vision for today? Do not contribute to the mean spirit and awful even actions of others that arise, particularly around American presidential campaigns and topics like gay marriage and a woman's right to choose what she does with her body in all ages and all times. Just don't participate. Name it. Publicly name it what it is and disengage. Name the hypocrisy and offer a vision in which people understand that their rights only exist to the extent that they support the rights of others, especially others who are different than they are. We are exactly what we do. If we are going to call God in the argument, then we must act like God. If we're going to call children in the argument, then we must live in a way that holds the child sacred and defends against the everyday now normal American actions that create soul loss. If we are to talk about love and the commitment to love, which is at the heart of marriage, then we must love others, all others, precisely and authentically as they are. Our only path forward is to learn to live in a way that honors the spirits and the souls of children. And by becoming those people, we become the people who can live in a better world. So thank you everyone for joining me here today. I give thanks to the ancestors who were wiser than we were in these things. May we learn to listen. I give thanks to the earth who knows how great, great diversity can live together and flourish in beauty. I give thanks to the sky for its inspiration, its protection and the generosity May we remember to feel some in our own hearts. And I give thanks to the human heart, which I believe has the courage to do what needs to be done. May you find it today. So thank you, everyone. Next week, we will explore loneliness and connection. Next week's show is a response to a variety of articles that have been coming out about the effects in our lives of this hyper-virtual connection today, stimulated by Facebook and Twitter, et cetera, et cetera, and what is actually soul-satisfying heart connections. So thank you, everyone. Have an excellent week, and love your kid, I believe, has the courage to do what needs to be done. May you find it today. So thank you, everyone. Next week, we will explore loneliness and connection. Next week's show is a response to a variety of articles that have been coming out about the effects in our lives of this hyper-virtual connection today, stimulated by Facebook and Twitter, et cetera, et cetera, and what is actually soul-satisfying heart connections. 
give thanks to the ancestors for gathering here with us today. I give deep, deep thanks for the earth below and the sky above and for the heart so that you, you might not be here with us. Thank you, everyone. <laughs>